Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Hello, listener. Just a quick note before you dive into this next episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast. As you know, we talk a lot in terms of unfiltered truths and raw, honest conversation. As a result, there are some subjects that have a little bit of sensitivity and some content warnings that come along. If you're listening to this and you feel at any point you're uncomfortable or your nervous system feels dysregulated or you're not in a place and space for what it is that you're hearing, it's okay to pause the episode, come back to it at a later time, or maybe never at all. Don't worry. You just need to pay attention and do what feels right for you. If this episode isn't for you, there are plenty of other episodes for you to check out. Thank you for taking good care of yourself, and we appreciate you being here. Welcome to another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast. I am very excited for today's guest. Uh, This is a person that I have had the honor of working with for quite a while now. I have witnessed her journey firsthand just from being somebody in the healing process to going through and learning how to become a coach and a guide for others and now being on the other side a fully embodied leader and somebody who exemplifies everything that it is to be a person who knows that no matter where you are in life, no matter what happens, um, that healing is possible for you. And she inspires everyone who follows her, everyone that she works with to see that possibility inside themselves each and every day. Huda is a certified trauma-informed coach through Moving the Human Spirit. She began her healing journey after facing corporate burnout at the age of 25. She took a step back and looked at her life, which led her to where she is today. After intense inner work, healing, reflection, and a lot of mentorship, she now guides others through deep, transformative healing that honors their true path as well as their inner child. Huda, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to chat with you. And for those who don't know you or maybe don't know all that there is to know about your story, in your own words, you know, take us a little bit through what it was like at 25 to have realized like, wow, I... I'm doing the thing. I, I got everything I wanted and and I'm empty. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Ember. And thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, so my journey is a little bit, um, it has parts, very sad parts, very heartbreaking parts, and some joyful parts that I have, I have had the blessing to, go through. (laughs) But yeah, I was 25 in a corporate, big, big, big corporate structure, doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing. The good employee, the employee who never opened her mouth literally to say anything when things were, when I was being manipulated emotionally, being gaslit, being uh, abused emotionally so many times. Uh, sadly, that's very common in the corporate world, but yet it's still manipulation, still abuse. <laughs> but yeah, I was doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing. I, I, I was, um, co- basically, um, climbing the corporate ladder. I was doing my work in a very, dare I say, perfect way. I was doing very long hours. I never, ever, ever complained about being asked to go on site, even if it was two hours and a half away from my house, which meant that I only could spend my weekend in my home. And then I had to go back on site from Monday morning until uh, Thursday evening, every single week for a year and a half. And (laughs) as much as I was trying to kind of force myself to act like everything was going well inside of me, nothing was going well, Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. 
I was feeling miserable. I was feeling empty. I was struggling with anxiety. I had a depressive episode. I I was bulimic for a very long time. I started actually, my bulimia started at a very, very young age. I was around five or four. Uh, the recollection of my memory says five or four, but my memory is a bit hazy. So maybe before that. Um, and so I was struggling at that time when I was around 25, very much with my bulimia. I remember I would eat a salad, one meal a day, one salad, one yogurt, and that was it for the whole day. And then I would hide, go to the bathroom and purge without anyone knowing what was going on with me. Even my closest colleagues, which I used to call closest kind of friends slash colleagues, didn't know about that. They had no idea. And um, I was drinking very much, a lot. I was a blackout drinker for months. I have nights where I don't remember what was happening. Mm. Um, that was very, very hard to, to walk through, to go through and to heal and to work through. But uh, so we are around in the timeline around September 2019, when my situation was just getting worse each day that went by, it was worse and worse. And I started to have physical symptoms, uh, severe physical symptoms. I couldn't sleep at nights. I had to take pills to sleep. I had severe sleep apnea at my age. I wasn't smoking. It was not normal. I started having uh, heart palpitations, severe ones. My heart was starting to kind of send send me messages. It's it's I, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore until I found myself in a hospital because I started having symptoms of a heart attack. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, the hardest part about me being in the ER is that I was, 30 minutes before, I was asked to not call an ambulance. All people around me were asked not to call an ambulance because they were afraid of insurance, of problems. Wow. Of a lawsuit. Yeah, because basically having an employee who would have... a heart attack or even symptoms of heart attack is a big, big deal. I mean, it means that the environment is so toxic because I, I was 25. It's it's right. just not common. It's And so I was kind of overthinking why, why wasn't I allowed an ambulance? Like everyone who would have these symptoms. I mean, do I have to like advocate for myself to get an ambulance? And I was the only thing that was on my mind At that point in that room, the doctor was actually talking to me. I had no idea what he was telling me because I was kind of in another planet. I was just, I had one question going on in my mind. How did I get here? Mm. How the hell did I end up in this room? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had no idea. It's, it was like a kind of a slap in the face, like wake up. (laughs) What? What have you been doing for 25 years of your life? Where did they go? What? How can you explain all of this? And that moment was very hard, very, very hard. <laughs> but it was a very big wake-up call for me um, because I realized that I couldn't, I just could not um, continue on that path anymore. I knew mm-hmm. I had to do something to change because I, my heart, the doctor literally said to me, this is like, this is, you cannot go through this another time. This is not something that should happen. Oh, like what, what a wake up call. Like what a wake up call. Yeah. I still get a lot, very emotional every time I think about it because it's, it's, I've been in hospitals a lot of times. I always had problems, like um, physical problems, physical conditions. And um, 
it's very hard to be on the on a hospital bed, not being allowed, not not feeling like you you cannot control what's happening to you. You it's like you're you don't have you cannot do anything to help yourself. You're there and you don't understand how how did you end up there? And it's it's very it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So how did you go from that moment of how did I get here and having enough awareness or self-reflection to begin piecing together the things that had happened in your life to lead you into that position that you were in where you had been willing to push yourself literally to the point of physical breakdown? And thankfully, you know, you didn't completely break down. You were given... Uh, an opportunity to self-correct and to do things differently. But there's a lot of people that get to that point, but still aren't able to make shifts or changes. So where do you feel like things maybe were a little different for you? (sighs) To be very honest, 2019 was a very difficult year for me. Very difficult for many reasons. The work environment was very toxic. I was um, sexually harassed many times in the workplace. I lost someone to cancer, but I only knew that she was leaving three days before she left Earth. And um, so actually, I would say that was the point where it just kept, <laughs> I, I lost control over myself. But when I was in the hospital that day, it was actually around, I think, 20, 20th of December 2019. Ironically, I was asked to go back to work <laughs> The day after that, I was literally asked. <laughs> oh my goodness. For those of you who are like listening to this and not watching the video, my my eyes are like just <laughs> popping out of my head right now. I mean, like obviously based on what you were describing with that environment, I'm not surprised, but I'm also like I'm just shocked. I'm completely shocked. That that, that is that just really goes to show you just how incredibly low the regard for you as a human being was. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I have a very long history in the corporate world, and I have so much to say about that. But that that work environment, ooh, it left a scar that I had to work on, and I'm, I still am working on, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But I was, <laughs> I was literally told that you could take heart medication and – it's it's okay. I mean, I take it. One of them told me this literally, and they were like around fifty. I was twenty five, with no history of heart problems in the family. By the way, no history. Nobody in my family on either sides has any type of problems with the hearts. So this is very uncommon. Um, so yeah, it. It obviously means the work was the problem, <laughs> but well, so yeah, I, when I was sitting there on that bed, I said, it's either I make a change, I make a decision to completely shift my life from now on, or I keep going down this road. And I don't know if I will literally survive the next time, because that's exactly what the doctor told me. And he wasn't the first one to tell me that, by the way. I went to another doctor to do checks and he told me, he he literally asked me, I'm not going to give you any medication. You need to change this work. You need to change this freaking work because this is what's getting you sick. You can making you sick. You cannot just stay there. I'm not going to give you medication that I give to people who are 50 plus and who have a history of a heart problem. It's you don't have any of that. So if you change your work, it will probably get better. But 
I, at that point, I was like, no, well, maybe he is just minimizing the problem. Maybe he's, he's just making it a big deal. Maybe I just need to kind of calm down. I was so brainwashed that I didn't even pay attention to the root of the problem. Wow. Wow. So that wasn't even the automatic wake up. That just kind of started you thinking, but it wasn't easy for you to just like snap out of it no but no so when the because i i saw actually doctors before having the symptoms on that day when i was on sites uh because i started to have to have sleep apnea and it was severe it was like 30 times per minute which is severe for someone on my age who do not have a normally it depends but normally i shouldn't have 30 times per minute it's just not normal at my age at least that's what the doctors told me so the first time no I didn't listen until I ended up in that hospital room it it Mm. was that that I realized hey 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 this is not we're not joking anymore this is not this is not a joke anymore you're out of time at this point like this it's like final warning type of situation Yeah. And I was looking around in that room and I was looking at the machines and I was like, this is, hey, this is not a joke anymore. (laughs) So what I decided to do on that night is um, I decided to take leave. I, by the way, the uh, management, um, some of them were waiting on the outside of the hospital. I called my, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, there is a fun part, fun story. It's not so fun, but I call it fun. Uh, they actually drove me to the hospital because they refused to call an ambulance because, well, again, low suit problem, blah, blah, blah. And so they waited outside of the hospital to ask the doctors what was going on with me, to literally ask the doctors why was I in there and if it's true that I actually have heart attack symptoms as I was telling them. And so when I went outside, I remember one of them was telling me <laughs> that this is the person who told me, you can go back to work tomorrow, can't you? I can drive you to the hotel where I was staying and you can go back to work. I said, no, no, I will do exactly what the doctor told me, which is go to my home and go to see my doctor tomorrow morning. And this is what I'm going to be doing. So bye bye. <laughs> and that's what I did. And that's actually saved me because wow. if I... If I did go back with them, I don't think I would have ended up here. Wow. And I'm sure it was hard for you in that moment. I I mean, you knew that your life was literally on the line, but you were still going against the, you know, corporate brainwashing and all the people pleasing and feeling like this obligation to essentially sacrifice yourself. And you had to know that you were feeling probably anxious and uncomfortable to advocate for yourself, but just doing it, just doing it anyway, even though you were probably scared, I imagine. It's true. It was very uncomfortable because especially that the person who was there was very high up there. It it was not my plus, like my N plus one. Mm-hmm. It was the N plus three. So it was someone very high up there in the hierarchy. So it was very uncomfortable for me to say it out loud, out loud. But the way I saw it, it's either I choose my health myself, or I choose them. And, and you at least had enough of a care for yourself in that moment to choose yourself, which I know that's been a whole other part of your journey, really knowing that you're worth care, your worth being able to prioritize. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that feeling of it's so easy to sacrifice ourselves for other people when we don't really feel like we have worth or value beyond what other people can use us for. There is another reason that kind of actually also helped in me making that choice. And it's that So the person that I actually lost at the beginning of 2019 
was a member of the family that I actually got into a kind of fight with and I wasn't talking to for three years until I realized that she was leaving and it was her last days on earth. And when I went to see her, one of the things that I think I will always remember is how on her first, on her, on her face, I could see the regrets. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not want to be in the same position. Yep. I feel like that, that will offer you a good mirror, a good perspective shift. Yeah. So did you ever go back after leave? What, what happened after that? So what happened is I actually worked from home because one of the reasons is the pandemic hit. So we Mm. were all working from home, but in the structure that I used to work in, sorry. Uh, But I also kind of, um, kind of stood in my ground and said, I'm not going back on site. If you want to keep me, at least until I find another job. I didn't say this part, but in my head, mm-hmm. that was that was the case. If you want to keep me, if you want me to still work for you, I'm going to do it from home. I'm not going to go back on sites. I'm not going to let myself go through all of that trauma again. No, <laughs> no. So that's what happened. And uh, I would say 2020 was the year where I realized that I needed healing. Yeah, the time that I spent with myself, um, I realized how much of my story was very, very traumatic. And I didn't realize it because Mm. in the, Mm -hmm. yeah, in the culture that I grew up in, trauma was not something that I heard. I grew up thinking that my childhood was normal, but... I realized that it wasn't. Yeah. And I feel like that moment is something that a lot of people can probably relate to. I actually remember for myself, I was going to school to be a therapist. And for anyone listening to this, who's a therapist, um, when you're going to school to be a therapist, your first case study is always your own family. They have you, basically do your, you know, a genogram, which is um, just a kind of type of like therapeutic family tree. You're doing it for your own family. You're looking at your own family, uh, which is really helpful, uh, but it's also very eye-opening. And I remember when I had to do my first genogram um, and I looked at all of these patterns of intergenerational trauma that had just been like repeated generation after generation after generation. Like it was just like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And like where I was at in the mix of all of that and like how much my own life and my relationships and the way that I relate to the world had been influenced by this structure that I had been born into and that I didn't choose any of it. And I also didn't have any awareness that that is what was going on because again, it it was my normal. Like what did I have to compare and contrast it to? It wasn't until I looked at things through this other perspective where I wasn't looking at it as a daughter or as a sister or, you know, even just like as a family member, I was looking at it as a therapist. And so I look at this and I'm like, oh, wow, wow. And that's like a whole, it's like a whole other part of like going to school to be a therapist that a lot of people don't talk about. But it it is so interesting that you bring this up because we have so many things that are part of our culture, our society, our families that are normalized, that we are conditioned to accept, but they are, if we look at them with that removed perspective, that neutral gaze, essentially, they're abusive, they're unhealthy, they're harmful. Um, But it's that twofold where awareness is so beautiful and so powerful, but it's also 
deeply painful and very uncomfortable because the whole way that you've been living your life up until that point suddenly comes into question. And that's a really make or break moment for a lot of people. Oh, yes. Um, The way it happened for me, I would say, is that it happened gradually, which is kind of better because if I started to remember everything all at once, which is actually something else about my story, I have I have forgotten a lot of my memories. I don't remember anymore. I don't remember much from a lot of years in my childhood. Like I have this one or two memory, but the other parts I don't. And so going through the healing work and doing the work actually started to bring up some memories, but it happened gradually, which was very difficult, especially from for some memories, it was very difficult. It still is, honestly, for some of them, but it actually kind of made things easier because if I remembered mm. everything all at once, I, I think it would have been very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our bodies actually are so beautiful at protecting us. Our bodies have such incredible divine intelligence. And this is where I, you know, I tell people a lot, like a lot of people come to me and they're like, do you think I should do, you know, plant medicine? Do you think I should do this? Do you think I should work with this person? And, you know, I, I really think it's a matter of people's own intuition and what they truly feel called and feel ready for, because, you know, essentially, like if you're looking at like a plant medicine experience, you might remember a whole lot all at once. And that's a lot to integrate and process. Some people might have the capacity for that. Other people might not. It really is very individual. But I think when we are taking things into our own hands in terms of allowing that divine guidance to guide our healing, we're really never given more than what we can process as we're ready to process it. And when we don't remember a lot, it is our body's way of saying like, hey, you know, like this is, this is not something we can have as part of our daily life right now. We're going to protect you. Um, a lot of people have certain levels of disassociation as a trauma response. And again, like that is our body trying to protect us. It's a very beautiful and important piece of it. However, we're still responding to that trauma, even if we're not aware of what the trauma is. It's still impacting how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about other people, how we feel in certain relationships. So having the awareness of what's actually causing certain things so that we can then bring healing to that experience is essentially you know, what we're going to be doing a lot of the time when we're doing healing work. But it takes most of the time, it takes our whole lives because we still have to function as human beings while we're doing the healing work. And that's, I think, a dance that I've seen you do really, really well in terms of really taking things on, but also showing up in leadership and then also taking a break when you need to. Um, A lot of people feel like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to heal. Like I'm going to do this. And like, it doesn't have to be like this all or nothing uh, type of thing. And I mean, you still are very transparent about the fact that you are still deep in your journey. Um, you still walk with this every single day, but you're still able to function and show up and hold space for other people while you're doing it. It's true. I I actually, um, to be very honest, I don't think I am healed. I, I, don't, I don't even like the word healed because it mm-hmm. kind of shames people's experiences of healing because and it puts the pressure on us i need to be healed i need to be but the truth is exactly like you said sometimes it takes us a lifetime which is normal because we have to still go through life and do our thing and at the same time take care of what we need to take care of and it definitely isn't easy because i have days where my cptsd is very very debilitating to be very honest but i still I know how to move through it a lot better than I used to because I was with that's that's the thing. I spent years and years and years of self-hate, self-harm, 
self-destructive behaviors without even realizing it without even realizing that I was doing it it's that was actually one of the hardest parts that I had to face I had to literally confront the fact that I I have memories of me harming myself because that was the way I was built that was the way I was brought up and it's not easy because I I spent I would say honestly up until what two years ago so since I was let's say an adult it's around 18 so around eight years harming myself as an adult, I'm not even talking about childhood and teenage years because I was doing that long before being an adult. And so doing the healing work is also facing the fact that all the hurts that you take from the outside world, you actually do to yourself. And Mm -hmm. that's not easy to sit with. No, it's not. And that self-compassion and self-forgiveness piece is, I feel like it is it is a block for a lot of people because it is hard for us to have compassion for ourselves. It's hard for us to forgive ourselves. Sometimes, you know, it's really taking that honest look in the mirror and being able to take responsibility for the part that is yours which is ultimately a lot of it. And as children, you know, we don't have control over, like, we don't have control over pretty much anything as human beings, but then as children, it's even less. It's even less than that. And so that part is, that's not our responsibility. What was done to us or our needs not being met, like, that is not our responsibility. We are a child. We are dependent in that situation. But then as we become adults, what we do with how we were brought up or the family system that we were raised in, what we do with how we interacted with people, that part is up to us. And a lot of times people get very stuck in what we categorize as victim mentality in the sense that like, it's very hard for them to feel like they have any type of control over anything, that they have any type of responsibility, that everything in life always just happens to them. And they're perpetually in this cycle of just feeling like they have been victimized and they will continue to be victimized. And when we're not able to take responsibility for the part that is ours, we literally just give up any power that we have over our own lives and our own existence. And it's easier in that sense, right? It's easier to not feel like you have any part or responsibility, but at the same time, there's never a way out of that vicious cycle if we're not able to take that honest look in the mirror. And you talk a lot about self-compassion and self-forgiveness. And I know that it is a very difficult, you know, you walk the walk, right? As much as you talk the talk. What were some things in the very beginning of your journey that you did to start to cultivate that sense of compassion and forgiveness for yourself also while looking back and having these memories of being just so harmful to yourself as well? I would say one of the biggest things that actually helped me is to, this is, this is, this was actually very hard for me, honestly, at, at, at first, but it was very helpful. It was when I one day sat with myself and I wrote every little and big trauma that I've been through as a child. Mm. And it was not an easy moment. A lot of tears, a lot of anger and rage and feeling of um, injustice. Um, But in that moment, I realized, and also I have a memory of myself because I had also suicidal ideation for a long time. I have had two times where I had a plan and I did not act up, act on it. So basically, I there was a possibility of me not being present here. But I still am. 
And going through all of that as a child, it must have been hell. Mm -hmm. Literally hell. And it got to the point where I don't have many memories of my childhood. So it must have been hell again. So actually sitting with myself and reading the paper of everything I wrote, I I was, I'm, I'm starting to become emotional again. I was like, so this child went went through all of this on her own and she had to so I moved actually I, I used to live in Morocco in Africa and I moved when I was 19 to France and I have I had to go through all of that on my own on top of all the trauma that I've been through which did not build me for moving to another country uh, looking for a new apartment. Uh, feeling safe enough in a new culture. I wasn't even safe enough in my home, in my culture. <laughs> so um, so it was kind of just adding more baggage to the already baggage that I was already <laughs> like walking with on my back. And I realized, hey, I'm, I'm present. I'm alive. I'm an adult. I, I actually went through my business school and I got my diploma. I actually have a job. Can you believe this? I was like, this, like this child, <laughs> like this child needs, needs a, like a celebration party. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it was kind of a shift for me because I was spending, I spent basically Eight years, let's say I'm 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 twenty I'm twenty eight. I was saying I'm twenty five. No more twenty five. I'm twenty eight. So since I was eighteen, I spent eight years of my adult life hating myself, mm. hating a person who's been through hell, hating a person who did what she could with what she had, basically. And it was a like a swish, like swift switch moment for me. It was like, what what this kid needs is love more than anything, which she was never allowed as a kid. Yeah. And I think looking at that part of ourselves, you know, I feel like the term like inner child gets thrown around a lot, you know, these days with people not really like understanding what it means. And, you know, from practitioner to practitioner, like things can kind of vary about how people do inner child work. But essentially it is so important for us to realize that most of our development, most of who we are as a person actually takes place between the ages of zero and seven. Most of that takes place between the age of zero and seven. And so then we become adults essentially, but like we're still operating on this blueprint that was given to us that we had no hand in creating, crafting, drawing, consenting to. We're still operating on this blueprint that was given to us by, you know, people who didn't really know what they were doing most of the time. Um, shout out, you know, to the people who are trying to do conscious parenting now. Um, but most of us, you know, that wasn't a thing. Like it was just this, you know, you, you got married or whatever, you had kids and then like you just did your best to keep them alive. And like, if you did, then that was good enough. Um, nobody really cared about needs or emotional regulation or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So you have this blueprint given to you by these people who like really don't, care for the most part about who you are as a sovereign being. Like they're not looking at you and being like, oh, Huda, you're such a beautiful little soul. Like, you know, let's get to know you. And so then you go into the world with this really shitty blueprint essentially. And, you know, for some people it's shittier than others. And then you're just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so when we're looking at that inner child piece, it really is us going back and seeing who we are now through that developmental lens of what we were taught in that zero to seven space. And sometimes, you know, it might be like a little bit beyond that or things that happen in our like preteen years. But most of the time, it is 
what was happening when that blueprint was being formed? What did you learn about yourself and how to interact with other people and how to interact with the world? And going back now as an adult with all this perspective to be able to engage with that blueprint in a way that you can give it love and reconstruct it based on who you actually want to be and who you know yourself to be, not just the default that you were given. And I think that 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 right there is one of the reasons that inner child work is so important and why I love that it's such a big piece of the work that you have done yourself and the work that you do with your clients. Yeah. um, In my experience, one of the, actually one of the things that I feel like, how can I say this? I feel like one of the pieces of my puzzle has been reconnecting with those wounded parts because like you said from zero to seven the blueprint is already like set and sent to space (laughs) here is who you will become (laughs) be this person (laughs) and you have no idea which is absolutely unbelievable and it's I feel like it's the most dangerous part about it is that who we are we have no idea why we are who we are most of people don't even know So going back to that inner child piece or the wounded parts piece, it was actually most of the time, to be very honest, not really easy because it reconnected to memories that were were very painful for me because from zero to seven were very difficult years for me with a lot of traumas, a lot of them, (laughs) but like the feelings that I felt and I'm starting to feel emotional again were indescribable. So beautiful. Sitting with those parts that I've kept hidden for so long and I've, I shamed, I shamed too (laughs) because that was how I was brought up in shame and shame was very normalized and minimized and no, it's not that big of a deal. Well, <laughs> um, sitting with them and talking to them and asking them what do they want, what do they need from me was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever done for myself and for those parts. And I feel like that shifted a lot of things inside of me. I started to feel whole. Mm, I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> Which I never did. I, you know, you spoke earlier about the victim mentality. I had that for a very long time and it impacted my life in so many ways. And the most difficult part is that I was in environments where I couldn't even advocate for myself. I couldn't even defend myself. So it's not just the inner struggle, it's also how we exist in a world that could actually harm us again. And are we even able to defend ourselves as adults? I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't give enough attention and credit to. Yeah. And I'm actually really thankful that you brought that up because that is not something that we've been able to discuss on the show probably up until now, because there is this other part of healing work where it, it it's almost healing becomes for the privileged, right? Healing becomes for the people who are not oppressed, the people who have the money to be able to pursue it. And like, yes, we are all worthy and deserving of healing. We all have access to this healing, but feeling safe, right? Feeling safe to actually embody that healing work or to even step into recounting painful memories or being able to use your voice once you do develop a a sense of self or being able to feel like you're safely able to have boundaries. 
that is a whole other conversation. And this is where I think a lot of people miss the mark in terms of just being like, oh yeah, well, you know, you just do the healing work and everything's going to fall into place. But we're neglecting the fact that there are societal systems, there are gender, you know, constructs, there are religious constructs, there are cultural constructs, family constructs. There are a lot of different things that people are living within as a system that they are a part of in some way, shape, or form that impact their ability to show up and advocate and again, like feel that sense of safety because nervous system regulation is a huge piece of this. So if you are existing in, you know, a sympathetic fight or flight mode every single day because you're in a space of survival for whatever reason, it's next to impossible to really do this deep level work when you are just trying to survive. The two are in conflict with one another. And you can't tell somebody who's trying to like put food on their table to then, you know, be able to be like, okay, well, you know what, don't focus on that. Actually go and like meditate or, you know, whatever it is, like that's not a priority for them. Survival is a priority. And so a lot of times we neglect to look at, you know, I'm therapist talk for a minute, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We have like safety, food, shelter, all of these things at the bottom. If those things are not accounted for reliably and sustainably, it is very, very challenging. And this is where we don't have enough of the conversations where the people who are in those spaces, not by any you know, fault of their own most of the time. And even if it is, then like they also are worthy and deserving of an ability to heal it's very hard for them to access this type of work. And even you and I, as people who have gone through healing work, we're speaking from a position of privilege, right? Like we had the financial means, we had the space, we had the, you know, food security, we had the stability of, you know, shelter to be able to feel like we could get expansive and do this and or spend a whole day crying if we needed to. Um, and it was going to be okay. That's not the reality for everyone and even just being female identifying persons. Like there might be situations where we want to have a boundary or we want to speak up for ourselves and it might not be safe, you know? So even in those spaces, like we still come up against barriers. Um, and I feel like that is something that I'm so happy that you brought to light because it is real and true for a lot of people. Yes, 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 yes. Um, <clears throat> I find, I feel like it's actually very sad that a lot of people don't even recognize their privilege. And mm. <clears throat> maybe because the what I keep thinking about every, th every time I think about this is maybe it's because they haven't seen another perspective. Maybe because they haven't been confronted to a reality of a person that actually wants out but cannot either because they don't even have the information that healing is possible for them. I've been that person. And it's 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 privileged to have access to that information. I I feel blessed because I did get access to that years later, but if you don't know you can, how can you possibly do the work? Mhm. Mm yeah, and that's, you know, not everybody is able to I think consume that type of information because even, yes, like we have the internet, we have social media, we have all of these things, but even being able to have the time to look on social media, to follow, you know, an account that's talking about, you know, loving yourself or being able to do deep healing work and not being like, okay, like whatever, I, I definitely don't have time for that. Um, I'm too busy working three jobs or what have you. It's oftentimes not from a lack of desire, it's from a lack of, of access. And it is something where I feel like all of us who are in this space, we could do a little bit more um, to extend our reach, to extend, you know, our access, whatever that looks like. You know, I keep spots in my caseload for a very generous sliding scale. Um, and that's one way that I increase accessibility. But everyone is capable of doing something. But to your point, it starts with recognizing that there is a disparity and people are coming into this at different entry levels. And not everybody is, you know, in this position of privilege. And a lot of times we, again, don't even recognize 
the privilege that we do have. But until we're able to take that good look in the mirror and be able to say like, oh my gosh, wow. Like I didn't even realize that like my ability to not have to work three jobs gave me space to do this. That's something that not everybody has. Um, and I think making sure that when we're speaking, it's not in absolutes, right? Because like, yes, everybody is worthy and deserving of healing. Everybody is capable of doing this work, but not everybody has the ability because of their circumstance. And that's something that we really need to start to take a look at. Yes, 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 yes. I love what you said. And I actually also offer uh, scholarship sessions to people who cannot afford to pay the whole session. I've been doing that for quite some time now. And I've been enjoying it because it comes from a place of, I would have loved to have this 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I hope to be able to do it for as much as I can. But yeah, I love that you have sliding scales as well. That's really a nice idea. Yeah. And I think also like as, you know, as healers, as therapists, as coaches, you know, as somebody who's holding space for another person, whatever, you know, title you hold, we can find that space between being able to be accessible, but also not burning ourselves out, right? Because we have done a lot of work and a lot of, you know, training oftentimes to be able to get into the position that we're in. And that is something that deserves to be valued and deserves to be compensated, you know, fairly. And so I think also being able to have more conversations so that the people who are able to and are in a position to pay for the types of healing that we can support them through, they understand that, you know, it's it's not something where you know, I, I look at this all the time in the therapy space where like, yeah, you know, you yes, you could pay a $25 like copay, but then like that therapist most likely is going to have to see eight to 10 people so that they can put food on their table. And then like, is that really being equitable in terms of making sure that that person that's holding space for you is in a good space themselves? Like, no, it, it's not. And so I think that we can do more just in terms of understanding the value of this healing work and the value of people who are safely, effectively, and ethically providing this work, um, which, you know, you and I have had conversations about how important all of those things are, um, and making sure that you are elevating and valuing, you know, that work when you are able to helps us be able to provide things like scholarships and sliding scales. Um, so that's just, you know, for anybody listening, like, that's why we charge what we charge. <laughs> And one of the things I did want to touch on before we wrapped up today is the fact that for you, you have found this recipe, if you will, in the way that you work with your clients based on your own healing journey, where you're incorporating a lot of love, a lot of intention, a lot of self-compassion, um, inner child work, parts work. There's all of these different pieces that you bring in you know, when you're working with your clients so could you just speak a little bit about how your own healing as, has informed the way that you now guide other people through their own healing? Uh, so one of the things that actually have impacted a lot my healing journey is when I realized that this is going to sound very sad, but it's the truth of my story. So I'm going to share it <laughs> like it is. I grew up in a house where there wasn't any type of love in any shape or form. So I grew up thinking that I was not worthy of love. On top of that, I also had the belief for so long, to be very honest, I'm still working on that because I love transparency. So I'm just going to say like it is. I spent my whole life always blaming myself for every little thing that would go wrong. Ooh, yep. Like every little thing, even mm -hmm. when I would like be sent to detention because the teacher was very angry. Ah, it's my fault. Even when I was being treated unfairly in so many situations, 
I also I always thought it was my fault. When I was wrongly accused of phone theft, I thought it was my fault. When I didn't do anything to deserve that, all of that trauma due to that experience. So I realized that one of the things that I feel like, which is actually, I started kind of researching the people that I know that grew up in a loving environment. And I realized how many, how much, like, they were built up differently than me Mm -hmm. (laughs) in so many ways. Like the first thing, the first thought that would pop in their mind wouldn't be, it's my fault. What did I do wrong? It would be, huh, that person treated me poorly. Maybe I need to like change my plan of like advocating for myself. Maybe I need to have more boundaries. Maybe I'll just leave that job, but not me. (laughs) For me, it was always my fault. I always had to do more to be deserving of love, to be deserving Mm. of attention. I always had to like change my whole identity just to be liked and loved by the people around me, which was so exhausting because I had to do that around each person I would meet. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) And I had to do that in relationships where I was with very, very extremely manipulative people. And I thought what I was receiving was love, but then I realized that it wasn't. (laughs) So, I spent a kind of some time thinking about why did I hate, why did I spend my whole life hating myself first? Like, what's so wrong with me that I need to hate myself this much? Because it got to some very, very low points. It, it was not just me blaming myself. Ah, why am I so stupid? It got to very, very low points. Like, I used to, harm myself. I used to cut myself. I used to drink until I would not remember what I spend the night doing. I would speak very badly about myself. I used to laugh when people would criticize me. I used to not do anything with people when people would push me in the streets. It was like I it was horrible. If you have seen me from an from outside, you would have said, what's why is this person so like treating herself and accepting all of this abuse? But the thing is, it was the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. And so when I spent time with myself, with my story, I realized that what I needed the most was love. Because if I had been given love, it would have changed my whole story. I would have never spent years with manipulative narcissists just trying to get their attention, their love, the crumbs of love, not even love, not even real love. I would have never like shut my mouth when people would push me in the streets. I would have not accepted very racist comments in the workplace. I would have not accepted to be very treated very poorly at school. There, my whole life would have been different if I had just been shown at least a little bit of love as a kid. And I'm not even talking about attention as a kid. I'm talking about love, just showing me that I was deserving of love, that nothing was so very wrong with me that I never ever would deserve to be loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when I the day that I actually realized that, I realized that even when I had the chance to receive true love from some people, I blocked it again because right. Because you didn't feel safe to receive it. No. And because I used to think that that's wrong. Why, 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 like, why would I receive love? I am not deserving of love. (laughs) Very, very big realization. Not a very happy moment. And so, and I think that that, that was one of the things that we, you know, had, had talked about, cause I've, I've had the privilege of mentoring you in the very beginning stages of you stepping into being a coach and a healer and a mentor for, for others. And 
it was just this huge foundational piece of like, okay, like self-love and like I can give myself love now as an adult back into, you know, that child self that didn't receive love. And I can rewrite this narrative and I can change this blueprint and combining just love and self-compassion with, again, going back and doing that inner child work. And then also talking about the parts work that you had touched on a little bit, because, you know, we all have different aspects of self that if those aspects of self are not given a place or made to feel safe, we just tuck them away. And it doesn't mean that they're gone. It just means that we tuck them away because it's not safe for us to express them or for us to be our full whole selves. Um, I've worked with people who, you know, as we go through their healing, they actually, it turns out like they're really funny. Like they're really funny, like sarcastic people. And they, for whatever reason, felt like they had to like tuck that away somewhere because they had to be very serious or like, you know, it wasn't safe to have humor or they were made fun of, you know, for being a silly person. Um, I've had other people who were actually like really beautiful artists, like very, very artistic people. And as we go back and reclaim, you know, those pieces of themselves, they're like, wow, like I was shamed, you know, for being interested in art or there wasn't a place for art or if I created something, it wasn't good enough. So I I put that part of myself away. It doesn't mean that it's gone. It just means that we have to go back and find it and infuse it with love so we can make ourselves whole again as adults. And it is so powerful to be able to know that any damage that was done to you as a child, like, yes, there will be scars for the rest of your life, you know, we can't undo things that have been done, but we can change how we now interact with them as an adult. We can go back and give, you know, that child version of ourselves love. We can go back, you know, to these experiences and reimagine them as if we were able to be artistic or to be funny or, you know, to be a child that, you know, is given unconditional love. Like we can actually go back and know that just because it didn't happen doesn't mean that we're not worthy and deserving of it happening. And that it's not that that is lost to us for the rest of our lives. We can start changing the narrative here and now and today. Yes. I love the part where you said change the relationship to the memories. I would just add on that also change the relationship that we have with ourselves, which was Mm. a huge, huge foundational piece of my healing journey. I realized how much, how abusive I was with myself. And so actually changing my mindset around, okay, so this, like this person needs compassion and forgiveness and love more than anything else in the world. And her whole life is been around shame and abuse and everything around that. And now what she needs more than everything is to actually see herself as a person deserving of love and respect and witnessing. And so actually taking the time to do all of this has completely shifted my relationship with myself in so many ways. Mm. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people just don't know where to start, you know, when it comes to that. And it is something that you, you really specialize in and you really know what it's like to really, 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 really not love yourself and then come to a place where you really, really, really do love yourself and have so much compassion for yourself. And I know, you know, every day you, you share so much, um, inspiration just on your social media in terms of like how you're showing up for yourself, um, that day, the things that you're doing to tend, you know, to yourself, to your inner child, to your nervous system. I think, you know, being a leader is living by example and leading by example and giving that permission for other people to know what's possible and being able to be a guide to help people just even start having a foundation of how to love themselves is such a powerful piece of healing that you have been gifted the purpose of offering to to the people that you work with. And even if, you know, you are not able to work with Huda, just following her on social media, um, you get a dose of that, you know, every time she, she shares. And so for the people who now are definitely going to want to follow you and work with you, where do they find you? How do they contact you? 
<laughs> so I have thank you for all the beautiful things you said. I really am appreciative. You know you're one of my favorites. <laughs> it's true. And everyone anyone listening to this is gonna be like, wow, she really is a big fan. I am. I am a big fan. Like who does who does also like, you know, I tell people I'm never gonna have anyone on this show who is not like the real deal. And like you you're absolutely like the real deal. Like a hundred percent integrity, beautiful boundaries, ability to hold space is just so off the charts and doing it in a way that is just safe and loving and really helps people to move the needle in their own healing journey by just witnessing. I feel like that's one of your gifts is being able to just sit and bear witness and hold a lot for people and show them maybe the compassion that they're trying to show themselves. And that's where, you know, having that guide, you know, that person that believes in you before you're able to believe in yourself can really jumpstart a healing journey. And that's why I think all of you who are resonating with this should absolutely um, get in touch with Huda. I'm receiving everything you said. Thank you again, Amber. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around everything you said. <laughs> So I have an Instagram page, which is called uh, Evolving With. And actually, my name starts with an H, but I did a little thing with the with and the H at the beginning of my name. So it's Evolving With and then O-U-D-A. Yeah. So you're saving yourself a letter, essentially. Just like saving yourself a letter. Um, And are you working with clients right now? Yeah, I am actually, I have capacity to welcome in clients and uh, what I do basically now for most of people that I work with is they are actually struggling with chronic stress or anxiety at work for most of them. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so my secret ingredient (laughs) is actually mixing together the parts work, which is uh, partly the inner child work and other parts. All of the parts are welcome <laughs> in this space. <laughs> uh, infusing it with self-love and also working on entangling the shame that mm. so many of us have like built in. <laughs> yeah, in our soul. So that's what I do. Mm, yeah. So if you're like an identified, you know, people pleaser, if you're struggling with, you know, overextending yourself, if you're feeling like you're being overworked, perfectionism, all of that kind of stuff, um, I would definitely say that that would be probably a good recipe for you to sample because most likely there's a lot of healing for you there. Huda, thank you so very much for taking time to have this very vulnerable, honest, open conversation. I just think you are such a beautiful soul as you always call all of us. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for everyone listening as well. I hope that this episode really gives you inspiration, enough inspiration for you to start your healing journey because I used to think that I was too broken for, too broken. I used to think that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive. And here I am alive, well, working on myself, helping other people to start their healing journey and loving themselves and coming from a person who used to deeply, deeply hate and shame herself, I think is a very, very good, like, living proof that it's actually possible for you to healing is actually possible for you to there you have it another episode of the sacred leadership podcast on the books i hope your time spent here served you and nourished you join us every tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights remember exceptional leaders share the wealth send this episode to someone who would benefit leave a review to let others know about the show and subscribe so you don't miss an episode talk to you soon